This morning, John 1, beginning in verse 43. This is the inerrant, infallible, perfect word of God for our good. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Where does your skepticism come from? And how will it finally be satisfied? A few years ago, there was a pretty great Saturday Night Live skit that featured people 70 an older, talking to one of those Amazon smart speakers. And they'd ask Alexa a question. I was waiting to see if anything was going to go off when I said that. (laughs) They'd ask Alexa a question, and the speaker would give them the answer, and they would constantly respond, I don't know about that. For those of us who bring that skepticism into every area of life, that's basically our motto. I don't know about that. But skepticism is not always harmless. Sometimes pride is at its root. We doubt something is true simply because we didn't know it already, and that can't be right. Or because it's in conflict with how we wish things to be. Sometimes the root is emotional fatigue or hopelessness. We think things can't change because they haven't so far. We're skeptical God is interested in making something better because it's already gone on like this. For so long. Sometimes the root of skepticism is prejudice. We have preconceived notions, we've bought into certain stereotypes, and what we're being told doesn't fit the narrative that exists in our minds. After meeting Andrew, John, and Peter in Bethany, Jesus crosses the Jordan, headed toward Galilee. The advance of his church, insignificant as it seems, has begun, and he finds Philip. And he calls him to follow, and the church rolls grow by one. Philip, verse 44 says, is from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. I'll say as an aside, Bible critics will sometimes point to this verse as an example of the Bible's inconsistency. After all, the other Gospels identify Capernaum as Andrew and Peter's hometown. But of course, if I ask you, where are you from, that doesn't really tell me how you're going to answer, right? You might tell me the city where you were born, or the city you grew up in, or the city in which you live now. Wasn't Jesus of Nazareth born in Bethlehem? The real scandal is that these men are connected with Bethsaida at all. 
From the other gospel accounts, which many of John's first readers had already read, we recognize that town as one that Jesus himself laments and curses for its unbelief. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Bethsaida is a worldly city, a city of unbelief. And yet Jesus will call disciples from out of there? I don't know about that. But that's what Jesus does in all cases, isn't it? He calls sinners out from the world, out from the hated city, to leave that city and follow him instead. We can never look at ourselves or others skeptically and question their place in the church because of their past. Our past does not determine our future in the kingdom of God. There's not some baseline level of respectability or pedigree or put-togetherness that is required for acceptance in Christ's kingdom. We also must resist the skeptical narrative that says people don't change. Yes, on their own, that's true. And that's why so many people do not change. But no matter what baggage someone brings into their relationship with Christ and his church, God's power can always change them. Hailing from Bethsaida is a pretty poor religious pedigree, but it's not too much for Jesus. He calls people out from where they are, and then he gives them the power to leave that life behind and to follow him instead. This can only be done by the power of God. Your sin, your past, your doubts and shame, all will try to convince you that you cannot leave it behind because you cannot change. We will be skeptical of others and they of us. Satan will whisper to you that you love Bethsaida and the world too much to ever actually leave. Or Satan will try to convince you that you'll stumble and fall and Christ will reject you too, and then you'll be a person without any home at all. But the same Christ who calls you to follow him has and continues to give you the power to do so. We need to encourage one another with this reminder often. This is a way to love your brothers and sisters in Christ well, is to be someone who regularly reminds them that the same God who called them out of darkness gives them the power to walk in the light. Like Philip, we must answer the call to follow Christ. There is no sin, no baggage, no foe in this life that we cannot overcome through him who gives us strength. Philip then does what any blind man given sight would do. He tells others. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. John uses Nathanael's given name. The other gospel writers use his patronomic Bartholomew, son of Tholmei, but they're the same guy. Philip's testimony is powerful. And notice his testimony is not about himself, but Jesus. He says, this Jesus, son of Joseph, is the one who unlocks the Old Testament's message. One scholar writes, the entire Old Testament can never be understood unless Christ is seen there. 
As long as one does not perceive it, it remains a closed book. But as soon as the idea is grasped, the scriptures are opened. In the Old Testament, God is revealing what is to come. And in Christ, God fulfills and completes that revelation of himself in salvation, in fulfillment of all of those prophecies. So for Christians, to live a New Testament-only diet is to be malnourished. The Old Testament without the New cannot save you. But the New Testament without the Old makes for an anemic spiritual life. Kids, our memory focus this quarter is Psalm 100, right? I hope you and your parents have been working on it. The Psalms are in the Old Testament, and they are the encyclopedia for the emotions of our faith. Psalm 100 is one about thanksgiving and praise, and it teaches us how to honor God with our gratitude. And it shows us how believers in the past did. But there are also psalms of great sadness, psalms of righteous anger, psalms of disappointment and confusion and hurt. There are psalms for every emotion you feel. Christians aren't always happy. Gratitude doesn't always come easily. And when we read, recite, pray, or sing the Psalms, we know that we're expressing whatever emotion that we have in a way that honors God. It's pretty amazing stuff. And with the eyes of faith, we can see Christ all throughout them. Nathaniel hears Philip's testimony, but of everything he said about Jesus, there's one word that sticks in his head. Nazareth. In Greek, it's the last word of Philip's sentence. And so it's the word that's left ringing in Nathaniel's ears. The Messiah from Nazareth? I don't know about that. How do you respond to others' skepticism about the gospel? Those times when someone casts doubt on the one true God, the Bible, or your own faith. Do you get defensive and frustrated? Do you go on the attack? Or do you back down without even trying? Philip is bold, but not aggressive. He doesn't point to himself or to proofs or evidence. He does what John the Baptist did. He points to Christ. Come and see. Let's take your doubts. Let's take your skepticism and let's take them to Jesus. The truth is there are a lot of reasons why people may be skeptical about the gospel. They may have been given wrong information. The anti-Christian world of media and academia love to pretend that real Christianity is hidden behind layers of secrets that the church doesn't want you to know. They love to speak of lost gospels and hidden codes and secret councils. In reality, the claims of Christianity were made publicly and boldly for all to hear with verifiable names and cities and dates given all throughout the New Testament, even in this passage. Other people may be skeptical about the gospel because they're weighed down by their own hurt and baggage. Or, and let's be honest, maybe they just don't see you as the perfect ideal of spiritual wisdom. So what can we do with the skeptics? Why not do what Philip did? Invite them to Christ. Invite them to scripture. Invite them to worship. Say to them, come and see. 
that Nathaniel is willing to come and see speaks to his character. He's no doubt prejudiced against anyone from Nazareth, but he's not so prejudiced as to be unwilling to inquire honestly. Stereotypes exist because they're often true. In many cases, you can judge a book by its cover. But that doesn't mean you should. Every person is an individual and deserves to be judged graciously by their own words and deeds. Though he is from Nazareth, Nathaniel approaches Jesus with a willingness to come and see. In what would be a great principle to apply in our own age, another pastor said, Honest inquiry is the sovereign cure for prejudice. Verse 47 is one of those times where a word-for-word rather than a phrase-for-phrase translation provides a little bit better clarity as to what's going on. The ESV or King James or New American Standard are a little more helpful here than the NIV. The NIV translates it, here is a true Israelite. And that would give you the impression that what Jesus has in mind is the distinction between true and false sons of Abraham. And that concept is a biblical one. And the word true is an important word in John's gospel. But it's not the word he uses here. And it's not the point Jesus is making. Jesus is commenting on what we just praised ourselves, the honest nature of Nathaniel's inquiry. He really is willing, despite his skepticism, to come and see what this Jesus is about. He keeps an open mind. He's acting in good faith. The word Jesus uses, translated deceit or guile, is a word you know well from the Old Testament story. Jacob. Jesus clearly has Jacob on his mind throughout this passage, and he contrasts what we know about Jacob's attitude with what we see here in Nathaniel's. Jacob was a heel puller, a cheat, and Genesis 34 shows how he passed those traits on to his sons and his descendants. He was not what he claimed to be. His motives motives were often duplicitous, and Nathaniel was an honest inquirer. He's genuinely seeking. It's the difference between skepticism that relies on stereotypes and openness to consider the individual. It's the difference between acting in good faith and, as one author puts it, the employment of deceit for selfish advantage. Isn't that the story of Jacob's life? A Jew without duplicity had become such an exception that at the approach of Nathaniel, Jesus exclaimed, That's how one author put it. It's as if Jesus, seeing Nathaniel coming and seeing a a genuine, open, honest, transparent, willing-to-learn Jew, and it's such a surprise, Jesus says, Oh, an Israelite who is true. How refreshing. Now, hearing this, Nathaniel's first thought probably goes to Philip. Had he told Jesus what to say? Had he given a heads up about his skepticism? How do you know me? He asks. And by Jesus' reply that he saw him even when he was under the fig tree, Nathaniel's eyes are open to who Jesus is. This exchange may be a reference to Psalm 139, that there is nowhere we can go to flee from the presence and eye of God. Or perhaps it's a reference to the custom in those days that you would study and pray under a fig tree. Maybe Jesus and Nathanael knew that he had been praying and asking eternal questions of God in private devotion. 
It's all speculation because John's focus is not on what Nathaniel was doing, but on Jesus's omniscience, his knowledge of everything that is a truly divine attribute. And from this, Nathaniel's eyes are opened and his skepticism is overcome. Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Nathaniel means by his two titles that he uses in response, son of God and king of Israel. Throughout John's gospel, people will often say better than they know, as John the Baptist did when he called Jesus the Lamb of God. That is, the person speaking is right on one level that they understand, but they're also right on a deeper level that they don't see yet. Nathaniel means son of God as a synonym for Messiah, and Jesus is that on one level. But what even he didn't understand he was saying is that this is the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity from before all time. The other title, King of Israel, is one Jesus is slow to use for himself in the Gospels. It's true, yes, but there is a large gap between what was true about it and what those who said it normally meant. Remember, the people were anticipating an earthly liberator, a conquering king who would come and grant them all their political goals and make their national lives easier. On Memorial Day weekend, we remember with gratitude those who served our country by giving their lives in defense of it and in promotion of her values. But it is tragic just how many American Christians believe, as these first century Jews did, that God's kingdom is primarily a tool to further their political ends and enforce their earthly freedoms above all else. But Jesus was serious when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Abiding with Christ begins by seeking first his kingdom. And then by ever living with his kingdom in the first place. Encounters with Jesus change us far more and far more often than they change our circumstances. Nathaniel came with skepticism and with prejudices. His first words to Jesus are almost an accusatory, how do you know me? But immediately when his eyes are open to the truth of God, he is changed. Rabbi, teacher, he cries, the son of God, the king of Israel. There's no attitude we can have that makes Jesus unapproachable to us. But we should be prepared upon seeing him for who he is to have our attitudes changed. To have our skepticism set aside, our doubts Relieved, our fears calmed, our insecurities bandaged and healed. He is the king of Israel, and he is also the king and the ruler of believing hearts. We can't just say, that's how I am. That's just the way I was made. The king of believing hearts is ruling in our hearts, and he can and will change them. Upon hearing Nathanael's proclamation and praise, Jesus invites everyone to listen carefully. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. The truly, truly of verse 51, literally, amen, amen, is a biblical call to attention. It's meant to have the same effect that I'm going for in every sermon when I say kids and then I see all the kid and adult 
heads perk up for just a moment or two. When Jesus begins with truly, or here, double truly, there's something really significant going on. Now, we might be inclined to take Jesus' opening as a rebuke. Oh, you believe just because of one thing I said? But that's not what it is at all. Jesus is honoring Nathanael's expression of faith. He is affirming its truth. And here he's promising a kind of reward for him and all who share in that faith. What happened to Nathanael was a miracle. He approached Jesus with scales over his eyes from skepticism and prejudice. And Jesus, by the power of God, removed those scales and gave Nathanael eyes to see. It's the miracle of all who come to faith. John the Baptist experienced this miracle. Remember when he said he had never seen him? He'd seen him plenty of times. He'd never seen him. Andrew and John and Peter experienced this miracle. And now Philip and Nathaniel as well. And as part of his conversion experience, Jesus revealed to him just a sliver of insight into one of his divine attributes, just a taste of his omniscience. And it blew Nathaniel's mind, as it rightly should. And so here Jesus says, you think that was great? It was. And because of your faith, you'll see even more. Jesus evokes Jacob again, this time the story of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28, where Jacob has this vision where heaven is opened and there's a ladder connecting heaven and earth and there's angels ascending and descending upon him. And in that vision, uh, the voice of God speaks a word of promise to Jacob that in his seed, through it, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Was that promise fulfilled throughout the Old Testament? Yes, from the inheritance of the promised land, even under the throne of David. But for its ultimate fulfillment, that promise was always pointing much farther. And here Christ says it was pointing to him. He is the ladder, the link between heaven and earth. He is the union, the mechanism between God and man. And he is the seed through which ultimate and eternal blessing will come to the world. Nathaniel, you think a glimpse of omniscience was a big deal? It is. And you will see much bigger. You will see all the divine attributes on display through this God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You delight that you've seen the Son of God. Good, you have. And you will also come to see that he is the Son of Man who took on human flesh in order to lay down his life for his people. You rejoice at the feet of the King of Israel. Wonderful. Just wait until you see him as the King of all creation riding on the clouds in glory. By your faith, you will see great things. And so I wonder, we're so familiar with the feeling of skepticism. I don't have to work very hard to get you guys to remember what it's like to feel skeptical. But are we forgetting the feeling of wonder? Faith has opened your eyes at times to see with clarity amazing things from God, greater things than these. Do you still see them? Nathaniel's eyes are filled with wonder as his doubts 
and skepticisms and insecurities are laid down and he sees Christ clearly and he sees all of reality through Christ. Believer, perhaps you too need to lay down your skepticism. Embrace a renewed sense of wonder. This Jesus is still performing great miracles. This Jesus is still inviting all kinds of people with all kinds of baggage to come to him. He still gives eyes to see. He still forgives even the most heinous sins. He changes hearts and he changes behaviors. There is still nothing beyond his power to change. We need to lay down our skepticism. And we need to embrace Nathaniel's honest inquiry. Don't bury your doubts and your fears and your skepticism. Bring them. Come and see. Bring them into the open and let the light and truth of Scripture shine on them. Set aside your prejudices about others and seek to understand them. Know them as the individuals they are. How else could you invite them to come and see Jesus? And perhaps we need to lay down our skepticism to again see reality with Christ-focused eyes. That's what it will take to live with the gratitude and joy of Psalm 100. We're not going to reason to gratitude and joy from an evaluation of our circumstances. We're not going to reason to confident hope in the Lord Jesus Christ through searching our own souls for tokens of goodness. We need to see God's work and that God is at work in the world and in us. The closed eyes of doubt and shame and cynicism can't see it, but the eyes of faith can. And when we see it, as Philip did, we can tell others that we have found it. We have found forgiveness and acceptance. We have found grace and mercy. We have found true, unbreakable love. We found the power to change. We found the hope that cannot disappoint us. We found Jesus Christ. Come and see.